0: Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things Podcast? I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. Our current series focuses on the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at who he is and what he does in the life of a believer. And I hope you'll find this week's message helpful in your personal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry. But before we dig into this together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. As we've been doing over the past group of weeks, we're going to continue our look at the Holy Spirit's ministry today. We're talking about who He is and what He does. And I've mentioned this before as we've been looking at what Scripture tells us about His ministry, but in many respects, the Holy Spirit, for many people, seems to be like a forgotten member of the Trinity. Scripture reveals to us that He is, in fact, God, but yet many of us I think, go through our lives not hearing much about Him, not hearing much about His ministry or what He does, or if we do hear things about who He is and what He does, it's just kind of ancillary things, some things on the side. And yet, during this era of history, Jesus told us that it would be to our benefit that He left because the Holy Spirit would be sent to us, who would minister to us in a variety of ways. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that gives us a very strong contrast. Now, we're going to to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and this is in Galatians 5, so if you would turn there with me. But you'll notice that as the Apostle Paul begins talking about the fruit of the Spirit, both before and after, you have this contrast that that he draws of what it looks like to not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to explain what the fruit of the Spirit is, but part of and much of our discussion is also going to center on what the fruit of the Spirit is not. And you'll see, I I think very intentionally that the Apostle Paul, as the Spirit, gave him the words to say here in Galatians 5. Uh, Paul was very specific to present these things this way. So, Galatians 5, starting with verse 16, this is what we read. "'But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh.'" Lord, thank You so much for the privilege to be able to look at Your Word together this morning, and I thank You, Lord, for what You reveal to us here in this portion of Scripture as You tell us more about the fruit that Your Spirit produces in our life and how that that fruit contrasts the desires or the passions of the flesh. Lord, we pray that we would walk with Your Spirit. We pray that we would be guided by Your Spirit. We pray that we would live our lives in obedience to the leading of Your Spirit and that your hand would be at work within us, and that that would become evident in the fruit that starts to come forth from our life. So, Lord, thank you for the challenges that you give to us from your word. We pray that you'd help us to understand these things and grow in our walk with you as a result. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the blessings that we receive after coming to know Jesus Christ is the blessing of a new life. And I I emphasize new life because it's not just a better life than you had before. It's a brand new life. It's not just a, a shined up, improved version of the old one. Scripture tells us that in Christ, we're made a brand new creation. We're given a new nature. We're even promised that a day is going to come when we'll be glorified, meaning we're going to have a brand new body. We're going to live in a sinless state. It's going to be wonderful, and I'm grateful for all these realities. Scripture tells us about them. Grateful for some of these realities that we accept by faith while we wait for their ultimate fulfillment. And as someone who has been blessed with a new life and a new nature... I will just say to you as our church family, I make it my goal to demonstrate the new nature that the the Lord's given me as I try to interact with others. And I I would encourage each of us to make that a priority in our day-to-day life, because what we want is to make it obvious that Christ is living within us, even before we have the opportunity to speak about His impact on our lives directly. And uh, I'm grateful for every opportunity that the Lord gives us to demonstrate that perspective as we interact with others. I actually had a very interesting conversation with someone I'm friends with just the other day, and she thanked me for conveying the heart of the Christian faith to others without coming across as harsh and condemning. Those were her words. She said, thank you for conveying the heart of the Christian faith without coming across as harsh and condemning. And then she gave me some examples of why she noticed that and felt that way, and I I thought that that was certainly nice to hear. And I took her words to heart, and I was grateful that that was her perspective of the nature of my faith in Christ. But there's something that I need to remain highly aware of, and all of us need to remain highly aware of this, even as we attempt to demonstrate the heart of Christ to other people. And I think what we need to understand is this, that even though we've been blessed with a new nature through faith in Jesus Christ, our old sinful nature still exists. It's still there. It still exists. It would be easy for me, very easy for me, very easy for you to to just slide right back into our old preferences and, and demonstrate the fruit of unrighteousness, instead of the fruit of the Spirit. It's very easy to slide right back into that. And that's what the Apostle Paul was explaining and trying to demonstrate in his words here in Galatians chapter 5, when you look at verse 16 down to verse 26. And I like the fact that he's very direct about it. He doesn't mince words. He, and what he does here is he actually explains the differences between the fruit of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. Now, you have probably been in a Christian bookstore or maybe seen a catalogue that had different Christian uh, articles for your 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 home or like decorations or things like that. Do you ever see decorations that had the fruit of the spirit listed on them, or you know like pictures or signs or paintings or things like that? Someone told me that they found a wallpaper border they were able to put in their home that had the fruit of the spirit and that sounds nice doesn 't it? Do you ever find it interesting that there's no decoration that has all of Galatians 5, it's just like that line, but not the stuff that comes before it and not the stuff that comes after it. I don't know that it would sell quite as well. You know, when you look at that list, it, it, it might not sell quite as well, but I appreciate the fact that the Apostle Paul doesn't mince words when he addresses these things, and so my intention as we look at this is not to mince words in addressing it, right? It's in Scripture, so we want to look at it And what we're being challenged to understand here is that we're invited to walk by the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit is very different than walking by the desires of our old nature. Paul says, when you look at verse 16 of Galatians 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the section we're looking at, this is how he starts it off. Now, I'll tell you... um, And I wish I I took more time to do this because I really enjoy this, but I will say that one of my favorite outdoor activities that I love to engage in when the weather cooperates, right? You know, today the weather's not really cooperating. Um, But one of my favorite outdoor activities is just walking. And uh, I know some of you enjoy walking as well. I love just putting on something to listen to or, or taking a walk with my wife and just enjoying a walk. And in our area here, I'm grateful for the fact that Um, There are lots of nice places in our community where we're able to take walks. There are trails that have been marked off for walkers to use. It's a beautiful thing. And and in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it uses that word walk, but it's not using it in the context that we often use the term walk when we're talking about just moving about in our day-to-day life, going from one place to another. This is an encouragement like we see elsewhere in Scripture. This is an encouragement not to indulge in the temptations of the flesh, in how we live, right? When, it, when it's using this term walk or walking, it, it means more than just the physical act of following a wooded trail. The Bible uses the term walk synonymously for the word live. So when you see this idea of walk here, when it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, it's saying live by the Spirit. Live under His control, under His guidance, in His power, in His strength, and then you won't give in to destructive temptations. You're not going to live your life giving in to the things that Christ has already set you free from. And we're given this encouragement for a reason, because even though we may profess faith in Jesus Christ, and I know many, many of you I know very well, and I know that this is what you profess. We profess faith in Jesus Christ, and even though we, we, when we trusted in Jesus Christ, we were given a brand new, sinless nature, like I mentioned a moment ago, we still have the old nature we were born with. Until we're glorified in the Lord's presence, we ha- now we have both natures. We have the brand new one, but we still have the old one. And the old one sticks around for a while until we experience glorification. You and I were born with a human nature that doesn't just like to sin a little bit, it loves to sin. It looks for opportunities to sin. It looks for opportunities to invent new ways to sin that's what our old nature likes to do. And um, our old nature loves to rebel against God. It loves to indulge in all manner of unhealthy beliefs, all manner of unhealthy activities. Uh, Again, we won't have that old nature forever, but we do have it right now during this brief season of these few decades that we have on this earth. And our old nature is a daily source of temptation. You and I are tempted by it every single day. Temptation, by the way, comes from us in three different directions, or comes to us in three different directions. I don't know if you've given some thought to this, but let me, let me warn you so you can see it coming before it arrives. It comes from the world, so the ungodly influences that exist outside of us and around us. It comes from the devil. Uh, the devil and his emissaries love to tempt uh, human beings. And um, temptation also comes from our old fallen nature. Now, most often when we're experiencing temptation, who do we blame? Most often we blame the devil, right? Like, ah, the devil, up to it again. Meanwhile, he's like in Arizona, right? And and you're here blaming him for things that are whose fault? Your fault, my fault, our own fault, right? We forget that we tempt ourselves. The world, the flesh, the devil, three sources of temptation— and quite frequently, it's ourselves tempting ourselves. Now, sometimes we blame the world. Sometimes we play, We often we blame the devil. But God's counsel in His Word invites us to walk by the Spirit because God knows how easy it is for us to walk by the flesh and how, how likely it is for us throughout the course of our lives to desire to walk by the flesh. Now, as we already mentioned, you know, when it says walk by the Spirit... This means live by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. But to clarify that even more, let me say it like this. To walk by the Spirit, If you want to draw that out a little bit. It means to make a habit of living in response to the Spirit while being controlled and guided by Him. So making it your habit to live in response to Him while you're being controlled and guided by Him in all areas of life. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit, and I'll just invite us to think a little bit about what's going on in our own minds and our own hearts at present, because right now, if you find yourself in a spot where you feel like you're losing the battle with your temptation, things that tempt you, if you feel like you're losing the battle with that, understand that, What may be at play, what's very likely at play, is that you may be making a habit of being controlled and guided by your old nature instead of the Spirit of God. You may be making a a, a habit of being controlled and guided by the priorities of this world or by the influence of the evil one. And I think sometimes we do that because I think sometimes we're not convinced that Jesus is sufficient... In certain areas of life, I think one of the things that happens as our faith matures, we start to realize Christ really is sufficient. He's sufficient for every single thing we need—every emotional, relational, physical, spiritual need, whatever need we have. Jesus is sufficient. But if we don't think He's sufficient in some area, we'll look for something else to help us out. And it plays it plays itself out in relationships when we idolize relationships with other people and then minimize our relationship with Christ plays itself out in our self-image or our feelings when we try to carve out a sense of identity based on what we have or what we do instead of letting our identity rest in who we are in Christ. But God's Word challenges us to walk by the Spirit so we won't gratify the desires of the old nature. And when you look at the book of 1 John, when you get into chapter 2, He says a few things here that I think are very useful for us to understand in the midst of everything that we experience related to our own temptations. It says, "'Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father.'" but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's a very big contrast to what this world encourages us to understand. But there the Apostle John is trying to help us to understand, listen, the cravings of this world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, Those are things that seem so powerful and so strong and so influential during this season of our life, but really, in the end, they come to nothing. And he says, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Those who trust in Jesus Christ, those that have that new nature, those who walk according to the Spirit are showing that their eternal life has already begun. And so you have the Apostle John encouraging believers in, in the book of 1 John to understand these things and it's useful for us to understand, even as we prepare our minds to understand the fruit of the spirit, because the scripture here is trying to provide a contrast for us even before it gives us those details and when you look at, at Galatians five verse 17 down to verse 23, it shows us that contrast. so let me read that again for us as well it says, "For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit now let's just pause there for half a second i don 't want there to be anything in my life. That is something I could say is against God or against the will of God. Would you say that of yourself as well? I mean, who of us wants to thumb our nose toward God and just say, I want to live my life for me and not for you? I want to live my life against you, God. Would you ever say that to God? Good. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, against the Spirit. That's how it's describing the desires of our old nature, as being against God, against the Spirit. And it says, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So the desires that the Holy Spirit places within us are against the old nature. They're against the sinful inclinations of the human heart. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then Paul says in Galatians 5 here, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident... And he gives a long category, a long list here of of different things that fit in this category. He says, this is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then Paul says, and again, not mincing words, he says it this way. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that an interesting statement? I, it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't, even before I finish reading that section there, there are many people that go through life just thinking that they, can, that they can thumb their nose toward God with there being no consequence whatsoever, or that they could just keep going their own way, and that at, at no point will that ever be called to account. And here Paul says, no, it's not like that. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, someone who lives in a persistent life like that, they're demonstrating what they really trust. And it's not the Spirit of God to guide them. They either trust themselves, the world, or the devil. But they're not trusting the Spirit. If you're not walking by the Spirit, you don't trust the Spirit. But if you do walk by the Spirit, you're demonstrating where your faith really lies, in Him. And then Paul says, "But the fruit of the spirit so he's drawn the contrast, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Can you say those? Like, from memory? If I took the slide down, can you do the fruit of the spirit? Can you say, do you have a song in your head right now? A while back, I was speaking with a friend of mine who is a police officer, and he was telling me the difference between when he had. When he worked patrol during the day and when he worked patrol during the night, and he said that most of the major crimes that he's had to deal with during the course of his career occurred under the cover of darkness. Does that surprise any of us? You know, most major crimes, when do they occur? When, when people think they can't be seen, right? And it makes sense to me because how does sin in general like to operate? It likes to operate when it can operate in secret. It likes to do its thing when it can operate in secret. And over time, I've come to realize that one of the most effective ways for sin to consume our lives is for it to operate in covert or hidden ways behind the scenes. But when sin gets called out and identified for what it is, it seems to lose a lot of that power and a lot of that allure once it gets called out into the light. And so here you have the Apostle Paul trying to encourage the Galatians to differentiate between the sinful desires of the flesh and the fruitful work that the Holy Spirit desires to do in the lives of believers. And he just decided to be very, very specific in this letter. He chose to call out and expose the desires of the flesh. Now, there are other things that could be added to that list, but that's a pretty exhaustive list, isn't it? That covers essentially the major categories of where we tend as human beings to rebel against God. These are the things that we you know, as believers sometimes we are saying, well, I don't really want to do that, but then I find myself doing that anyway, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Uh, But you have, you know, here you have Paul listing these things in Galatians 5, and then explaining that these are essentially the things that demonstrate a lack of faith in Christ when we engage in these things, we're showing where we're placing our faith. We, we show where we're placing our trust. We're showing that if, if this is truly the pattern of a person's life, they're demonstrating that they have no understanding of what it means to have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And Paul here says, if this is your life, if this is what categorizes your life, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. This is not what it looks like when Christ changes a person's life. This, looks, this is, the, this is the, the banner category of what it looks like when someone goes the ways of this world and just embraces the ways of the world. And, he, and Paul here says, he uses the word evident when he's referring to our, our common areas of temptation, our common areas of, of the desires of the flesh. And he tells us that these things make themselves obvious. They make themselves obvious, even though there are some in this world who like to deny how obvious these things are, they become obvious. And some of what he, what he speaks of here could fall into the behavioral and externally observable categories, right? Because here he talks about uh, sexual immorality, he talks about sorcery, he talks about drunkenness. So you look at those things and you say, all right, well, that's behavioral, that's the type of things. You could externally observe somebody engaging in those practices. And then other things on his list here are maybe a little less observable because they tend to operate on an internal or maybe motivational level. So things like impurity or jealousy or anger, things like that. They tend to be internal things that, that people hold on to. But even the less observable motives eventually become apparent in visible and relational ways, wouldn't you say? You know, if somebody's really wrestling with, with some of these things here where he's talking about enmity, like just this division between them and others, and strife, and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, does that not come out eventually? I mean, whatever's going on in our mind and in our heart eventually is going to come out in our lives. I, I said it, I think, last week. I'll say it again. Behavior follows belief. You will eventually be able to tell what I truly believe if you observe my life. And not just my life when I'm in a public spot where I know people are observing me. But when, I'm, when I don't realize I'm being observed. I'll never forget... Uh, <laughs> When I, I've mentioned this a long time ago, but I I remember at one point when um, uh, my son Daniel was like, I don't know, he might've been like five years old, something like that. And uh, I I was, we had stopped at the turnpike. We were in like the the rest area of the turnpike and I was washing my hands and I, I watched him watching me wash my hands. And so he did what I did, got the soap and he's washing his hands. And then I had like an itch on my leg. And so as I'm washing my hands, I was like, I did that. And then I watched him go, I was like, no, that's not part of the, like, I didn't say anything, but in my mind, it was like, you're being watched. Like everything you do is being watched. Things that you don't realize are being watched are being watched. Everything you do is being watched. Even when you don't think you're being watched. And here you have Paul saying, he, he contrasts these evident things, right? Like these things that will become evident in your life. What you believe is going to become evident, It's going to sneak out in your life one way or another. It's going to sneak out in your words, your attitude, your behavior. Somewhere along the way, your beliefs are going to come out. And he contrasts these evident desires of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is where it gets really positive and happy. So if you've been feeling low, this is where we get the uplift, right? But isn't it a beautiful thing to realize that the Lord doesn't leave us in the mess that we started off in? I am ridiculously grateful for that, that he didn't look at me in the mess that I was in and that I was making worse. And he, he, he didn't look at me in that state and then say, I'm going to leave you there. He didn't leave us in that spot. The scripture here tells us that the Holy Spirit is presently at work within everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If You believe in Jesus Christ, he's doing a work within you. He's transforming your mind and helping you to see and think differently. He's producing holiness in your life. Whereas there once was wickedness, now there's genuine holiness that the Holy Spirit's producing. It's a process of sanctification, the Scripture refers to it as. He's ca- what he's doing is he's causing us to gradually resemble Jesus more and more and more in our attitudes, in our actions, in our relationships, in how we care for people and how we treat people. And the fruit of the divine work that the Lord's doing within us, the fruit of the Spirit, it stands out in very stark contrast to the fruit of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, one of the things that um, that I often... And a friend of mine taught me this, and I'm really grateful that she did. This was, this was really useful information. And I'm, I'm going to give you some free marriage counseling right now, all right? So take a note on this. You, you won't even need to write it down. You'll remember this in your mind. Do you ever fight with your spouse? Don't say anything out loud. Just know whatever the answer is in your head. Maybe it's a no, unlikely. I've met you. Um, and then you're, right now you're saying, <laughs> I've met you. Hey, listen, I think Andrea is downstairs. Oh, no, she's in the back row. Are you hiding back... No, no, she's not. She's, she is downstairs. I can say whatever I want. All right, great. Um, but I want to give you some counsel here. It's actually very good counsel. Um, think back to your most recent argument as a couple. And by the way, this works with co-workers, with siblings, with people you're dating, with uh, neighbors. This really works with anyone you have any kind of a relationship with, but most often it comes up in a marriage context. So think back to the most recent argument you have. And by the way, most of the things that people argue about in a marriage are actually dumb and embarrassing, right? I don't hear too many people argue about world peace. You know, they argue about who left the dome light on in the car, and now the battery's dead. Great. You like dead batteries? Because now we have a dead battery, right? You like spoiled food? Maybe you should close the fridge, all right? Some people close fridges. I have friends. They close their fridge. Their food lasts longer than ours. You know that, right? This is what we argue about. It's dumb stuff. Think back to your side of the most recent argument you had. And then ask this question, which fruit of the Spirit was missing? Was it love? Was it joy? Was it peace? Was it patience? Was it kindness? Was it faithfulness? Gentleness? Self-control, what was missing? Or all of them, could be all of them. There might be a dominant one, though, that was missing. How about when you're trying to discipline your children and you feel a bit exasperated? Love, kindness, patience, sometimes missing, been there. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not asked to do life under our own strength. I'm not being asked to do this life on my own strength. You're not being asked to do this life under your own strength. You're not being asked to be a, a spouse under your own strength or a parent under your own strength or a coworker, or a friend or a neighbor or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You're not being asked to do these things under your own strength. We're literally told that the Spirit of God lives within us and produces fruit in our life actively So he's alive within you, and he's producing good fruit that comes forth from your life, and it starts to become evident. It starts to become visible. The visible evidence of his presence is going to be a mind that starts thinking like Jesus, lips that start talking like Jesus, actions that start resembling Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, like Jesus. Joy, like Jesus peace like Jesus, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control like Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God is producing in your life and in your heart. That's the fruit that He will bring out of your life as you walk with Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And what we're invited to do is cooperate with Him. Walk with Him. Don't run from Him. Walk with Him. Cooperate with Him. Give Him free reign in your life. Give Him control of your mind and your heart. Let Him direct you. Don't hold back anything. The truth is, if you feel dissatisfied in life and you can't put your finger on it, I suspect that the reason is there might be something you're still trying to hold back for yourself that really belongs to Him. But when you submit the whole thing over to Him and allow Him to have His way, and then you trust His will, and you trust the outcome, you experience peace that passes understanding. You experience joy in the midst of trials. These are pieces of fruit that start coming from the tree of your life as the Holy Spirit enables you to actually experience what life really looks like. And if we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit instead of the desires of the flesh, just think about how that'll change the dynamics of your household. Just think about how it'll change the dynamics of your marriage, your friendships, your co-working, coworking relationships, your relationship with your neighbors or siblings or anyone in your life. It's going to change it. Because as you reflect the heart of Christ, as the Spirit of God empowers you to do so, people can't help but respond to that. And the scripture here tells us that this is the work the Spirit of God desires to do within us. And so, I think it's useful for us to start asking questions like, all right, what attitudes and actions from my old nature have I held on to for far too long? That when people see my life, that's the fruit they're seeing. If that's the case, I need to step away from those things so I can walk with the Spirit. Because I want to see His fruit at work in my life. And one other thing I want to point out from the chapter that we're in today, when you look at verses 24, 25, and 26, it kind of comes back to some of the negative things that Paul was talking about as a bookend, where he's basically encouraging us, look, don't feed or nurture sin in your life any longer. So when you're thinking about a healthy tree that produces fruit, as he's using this analogy of uh, the fruit of the Spirit coming forth from your life, what does that mean? It means we're being fed by the Spirit, uh, enlivened by the Spirit. But if we feed the old nature, what kind of fruit are we going to get? Well, when you look at verses 24 through 26, Paul says it this way. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a very definitive statement. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. God's Word's very practical, especially when you look at at Paul's epistles, intensely practical. And I think at, at times we might prefer to think of God's Word as maybe conceptual or theoretical, but when you look at its content very, very closely... It demonstrates a plan of action for the growing believer in Christ. We're told what to do. We're given the blueprint here. And here it's revealed to us that as an outpouring of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're being called to follow up what we just learned about the fruit the Spirit of God wants to produce in our life with definitive action, with things that you and I can do that that can help us participate in the work that God's doing. At one point in your life and at one point in my life, we were slaves to sin. That's how Scripture describes our previous condition. So giving in to temptation was a natural outpouring of that reality. If you're a slave to sin, giving in to temptation, that's a natural outpouring of that. Sin had power over us. Our old nature was operating as our God. But now, in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free in Christ. We're now servants of God or slaves of God which means we possess the power of Jesus Christ, and we could utilize His strength in the areas of our lives where we feel tempted or where we feel weak. In Romans chapter 6, it tells us something about fruit that goes really well with our understanding of what we just read in Galatians 5. But in Romans 6, verses 20 through 23, we're told this, "'For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness.'" Our sin produced death, but the free gift that we're given is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oddly, there can still be things in our life that we might be, areas of temptation that we might be treating as friends instead of treating as foes. And I want to call some of those things out because I think sometimes it can be very easy for us to be caring for our areas of temptation and nurturing them just in case we need them, just in case Jesus doesn't seem quite as sufficient as maybe we hoped he would be. Have you asked Jesus to free you from your porn addiction? Or are you still holding on to those links in case you think you might need them in a low moment? Have you asked Jesus to free you from your addiction to alcohol? Or is there still a bottle hidden somewhere in the cupboard? you ask Jesus to free you from your addiction to overeating? Or are there still like a pack of Oreos hidden in the back of your desk drawer? There are things that we tend to look to to satisfy the desires of our soul that are far below the standard God has set. And sometimes we nurture those things and we keep them around just at a little bit of a distance, but we like knowing that they're still there. And what the scripture is saying, no, this is what you do with those things. You don't nurture them. You don't treat them like they're pets. You don't feed them and keep them around in case of an emergency. You crucify them. That's what you do. You crucify them. It says, says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Why would we go back to the things that produce shame. When Paul says, when you come back to Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Nurturing sin doesn't produce freedom. It just produces more death and produces more shame. But we don't need to be slaves to our sin any longer because we've been set free in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is producing holiness within us. We have the power of God within us to inflict crucifixion on what's trying to destroy us. Now, here's something I'll say about crucifixion. In most cases, crucifixion wasn't an instantaneous form of death. It took a while. Sometimes it took days for a person being crucified to pass away. Usually, it, it at least took hours, but most of the time it took days. So crucifixion wasn't always an instant form of death. And I think it's useful to keep that in mind when you think about that analogy, because just as it took time for some of those areas of temptation to develop in our lives, it might take a little time for us to overcome those areas of weakness. But don't give up. Keep trusting the Holy Spirit to empower you and to produce the fruit in your life that ought to be there. I was looking out my back window the other day, and behind my home there's a row of arborvitae trees. It goes, they're really tall. They go right across the back right across the right side, and then a few years ago, I planted some across the left side. They're not as tall as the other ones, but I love how they look. They're tall. I like the privacy that they offer. I just I like the way they frame out our yard, and I enjoy looking at them, but we have a problem with them. Behind that area where the arborvitaes are, there's a stretch of land that nobody owns. It's this unowned buffer area between our yard and the neighbor's yard, no one owns it, and because it's unclaimed land, it just, gets, it just goes uncared for, and because it's uncared for, there's all sorts of stuff that grows in there, all kinds of vines, all kinds of weeds, all kinds of poison ivy, and every now and then, it likes to work its way up those arborvitaes, and I've tried to spray it, I've tried to do all sorts of things, and nothing really seemed to work. The only thing that's ever worked, I've done it some, and I've hired... Uh, well, Matt Thomas, I hired you a few years ago to do it, and then last summer I hired my son Jay to do it as well. The only thing, when those things start creeping back, the only thing that works to get rid of them is to just find their source and kill them at the source and cut it off. Just cut it off. Otherwise, they wrap themselves around those arborvitaes, they make them look terrible, and eventually they'll kill them. And I think about that in regard to the sin in our lives. It's like those weeds. It's like those vines trying to work their way up the arborvitae. If you nurture it, if you feed it, it's going to gradually and slowly, and you won't even realize it's happening in the moment. It's only over the long stretch that you'll start to see its effect. But it's just like working its way very stealthily through your life. And then before you know it, it's doing major damage. And the only way to get rid of it, it's not to feed it. It's not to water it. It's not to nurture it. It's to cut it out. It's to crucify it, like Paul encourages us to do. It's a beautiful thing to look at this portion of Scripture from Galatians 5 and to really think about the fruit that the Holy Spirit desires to produce in our lives. And if we submit ourselves over to Him, He will produce that fruit, and it'll start to become very evident to the people in your life that you've been spending time with Jesus, because His Spirit will be at work within you producing these things. But the caution given to us in this portion of Scripture as men and women who desire to see the Spirit of God at work within us is that we need to cooperate with Him and not fight against Him. We need to walk with Him, crucifying the desires of the flesh and welcoming the fruit of the Spirit to become evident in our day-to-day lives. And we can trust His power. We can trust His ability and His desire to produce that good fruit in our lives. He desires to do it. He tells us what's going on all around us in the midst of it, and he reminds us that his strength is sufficient as we seek to grow more and more like Jesus in our day-to-day lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to see a portion of Scripture like this that speaks about the fruit that your Spirit desires to produce in our lives. Lord, we know that our old nature loves to wreak havoc in our thinking and in our, our living. We know lord that that our old sinful nature loves to go about things in such a way that we essentially convince ourselves that that the wickedness that you freed us from is somehow going to produce good fruit in our lives and that 's not the case at all. So you give us the contrast in this portion of your word from Galatians five you show us what the fruit of the spirit looks like and how that contrasts with the desires of the flesh. Thank you so much Father for sending your spirit to accomplish the work that he's accomplishing during this era of the history of your church. We're so grateful for the fact that that these are things that we get to see and experience as you accomplish your work in and among us. And Lord, we pray that more and more we would reflect the heart of your son Jesus Christ that it would become evident that that we are those who have faith in Jesus by the fruit that's pouring out of our day-to-day lives and our relationships and our walk with you and our attitude and the words that we speak. We want to demonstrate that fruit. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for the challenge that you give to us in your word, but it's a hopeful challenge. You try to stir us up so that we'll understand things that, by nature, we might not have even wanted to look at. So, Lord, thank you again for giving us these things, and thank you for your presence with us right now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.